Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday, August 9th, 2019. We're going to have a rock and roll in time today. We've got such a great lineup. We're going to start out with some folks from the Men's Health Foundation who are here to talk to us about what's going on uh, around, you know, preparation and prevention and HIV and STIs and outreach to the Latinx and trans communities and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, Stephen Guy, Effie Chacon, and uh, April Savaria coming in. And then following them, we are going to have a, there's a musical called The Green Room which has been playing in Los Angeles they are just getting ready to go to New York City to do an off-Broadway production of The Green Room and I've got the creator and a couple of the cast members coming in to talk about that and then we've got Angela Briskelli from the June Mazer Lesbian Archives to talk about lesbian history and the collection and upcoming exhibits and then we're going to finish off with Jefferson Hendrick and uh, Kristen Valich from the Phoenix Effect talking about the Equinox boycott because that is what's hot and heavy. But before we get into all of that, let me just tell you, it has been one heck of a a week since we've last all talked. In the meantime, we've had uh, two horrible shootings in uh, El Paso and in Dayton. And uh, at the same time that that horror show is going on and our man in orange in the Oval Office is running from photo op photo op talking about what a terrific opportunity it is to pose with law enforcement completely disregarding the fact that there were 22 dead Latinos in El Paso and nine dead in Dayton, Ohio, including a trans woman. Uh, besides, you know, not having the ability to show any compassion at the same time, rounding up 700 workers at a chicken factory in Mississippi, leaving dozens of children stranded stranded without parents uh, in Mississippi, without any game plan, just like the kids in the cages, like they don't learn. They just don't learn. You cannot separate children from their parents in your attempt to create public policy that you think is going to help you politically. So the horror show just continues on and on with the Trump administration. And that's why I think the Equinox boycott has taken on such steam, because at some point, each of us has to reach a place to say, am I going to participate in this attack on the democracy of the United States as an observer or as an active resistor fighting back for the good of our country and the good of our people and the good of our democracy. And if it means I'm going to switch from Equinox to Crunch or if it means I'm going to do sit-ups at home, I am not going to fund Donald Trump any longer. And I think we're at a we're at a tipping point from gun control to campaign finance to white nationalism to the resistance. We are at a tipping point as we get ready to head into the year 2020 to take our country back from these people. So, all right, that's enough, because I am just obviously hot and heated because, one, I'm Latino. Two, (laughs) I care about this stuff deeply. And three, uh, it's just been one hell of a week, all all of those things combined. So let's shift gears, because in studio, we do have the group from the Men's Health Foundation, and I want to welcome everybody into studio. Jason, you got all their mics on? Great. Stephen Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. And April Savannah. Did I say that correct? Saravia. Saravia. Thank you. you And Effie Chacon. Effie Chacon. Thank you, John, for having us. It's it's a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you all here. So what is going on with the Men's uh, Health Foundation? What are you all doing? Who wants to start? 
Well, I would like to start with uh, talking about the PrEP uh, program that we have, the prevention program. Uh, we do have uh, about 3,000 men on PrEP right now, which is amazing. That is amazing. Um, That's in Greater yes, West Hollywood, Los Angeles? Absolutely. And uh, that program has con- continues to grow. Uh, the retention and keeping those patients on PrEP is amazing. We are very lucky that when patients come in, uh, we make sure that we do establish a relationship with that patient. Right. And no matter what type of insurance you have, you are more than welcome to come to the men's All right, so we've got people listening from coast to coast right now, including small towns uh, probably on their computer laptops. So for the maybe the four people who haven't heard what PrEP does, what does it do? PrEP is the medication that prevents HIV-negative people to stay negative. It's a pill that you take daily. Uh-huh as prescribed by providers. So right. you have to get tested first. You have uh, to, to test your kidneys, level, your um, HIV test, right. um, your um, bone density and all that. So it's a pill that you take daily, you stay negative and it's effective, 99% effective. And at the same time, we're keeping the positives at undetectable levels. So yes. making the transmission of HIV almost a virtual impossibility. Absolutely, how but amazing is that? That is awesome. Yeah. We got less than a minute, so, uh, April, why don't you give us a teaser, and then we'll come back and talk more about outreach to trans people. Well, you know, one thing I want to say is, being at Men's Health Foundation, I've learned that you know we're reaching out only to not just the you know gay and bisexual men, but we're also reaching out to the transgender community, reaching out to them and letting them know that you know prep is also available for them, as well as for prep for trans men and for transgender women. Wow, that's so critical. Especially, I mean, I think in all big cities, uh, West Hollywood, we actually have. 1% of our population identifies as trans. We got a percent. I mean, this is a big deal That's, to get the percent <laughs> on the board. All right, when we come back, we'll be talking more about what's going on at the Men's Health Foundation with my guests. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm playing that for you, Stephen Guy. Thank you that so much. For you. I'm, I'm bringing you into the village, people. I'm showing the guns. All because right. you are making macho men uh, there on the Sunset Strip. <laughs> i got an amazing team around me, so it's not me alone. Yeah. Gang, we're talking to Stephen Guy, April Saravia, and Effie Chacon here from the Men's Health Foundation about the incredible work that they're doing. And right before we went to commercial, uh, April was telling us a bit about uh, outreach to trans communities. Tell us about that. So I think it's important for us trans people to be aware and to be known that we're here and that we also need services and to be able to know that Men's Health Foundation is not just for men but it's Men's Health Foundation for trans health and I think it's important that anyone who wants to get on PrEP look up on PrEP especially if you're in an LA area and you're looking for somewhere to get PrEP we see anyone that's trans that's trans individual non-gender conforming and it doesn't matter if they have insurance if they have insurance or if they're undocumented or whatever the case may be 
be, we're more happy to see them. That's awesome. I know that a lot of, uh, especially around West Hollywood, a lot of trans women of color, especially in, in Latinx communities, uh, come here and they're typically afraid of government, afraid of law enforcement, afraid to participate in community. Yeah. And, and you're, it sounds like you are figuring out a way to get around that. Yeah, we go out to them, we meet them, we tell them about Men's Health Foundation, we're t- starting to do certain programs for them. And another thing that I love is that I am bilingual, so hablo espanol, so I'm able to help them if they come in and they don't speak the language. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it, obviously it's not just for men. No. So these are trans women you're reaching out to. And trans men. Yeah. What we like to say a lot is that, uh, you know, while we specialize in the needs of men at risk, we care for everyone. And so we reach out to gay, straight, bisexual, questioning men, as well as non-binary and transgender communities. Um, And it's very important for us. Um, You know, we talked about the tools. PrEP is out there. Undetectable is untransmittable, is becoming very well known. We can effectively end this uh, disease. Um, But we still have 5,000 new cases in California every single year. Mm. And so we know that we need to do better in reaching those people who aren't getting the message. And when we talk about living in a country right now that is so divided, making sure people have a safe place to go to, that they'll feel connected, um, part of the community is vital. So making sure we're getting this message out and this team here is our champions and making that happen and and, and helping us to be so effective in, in connecting people to something that matters. One of the things that I would love to encourage everyone, if you're listening in the East Coast, whatever you're listening at, um, I started having a prep support group. It's almost been over two years now. And that group has been a tremendous help for people to come in and learn more about PrEP, um, learn about PEP. We have had an HIV positive person that is dating HIV negative. So that group really, really, really works. So I encourage you that if you're not doing anything like that in your state, do it. Try it. It will help. It will educate your community, and it will bring more and more clients to your agency where they feel safe and secure. Yeah, because I think social support is a high key to keeping a, a community healthy. And when uh, Ephraim was talking about the support group, I, I've been to the support group, and it's amazing how people can relate to your stories, how people come and t- talk about certain barriers that they may be doing with whether their health insurance or whether their lifestyles or whatever it may be. They come in together into that support group, and they talk and c- get solutions and help each other and I think it's highly important as a community, LGBT community, that we come together and we support each other. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I'm old enough to, to to be old enough to talk about the old days. <laughs> but back I might be with you there. Yeah, John Stephen, too. you're Sorry, right. You're right up there with me. I mean back in the eighties when HIV first reared its awful head, uh, there was no hope. I mean, people, if you found out you were HIV positive, you had literally um, between three and ten years. And depending on, you know, the date of infection, you were pretty, it was pretty hopeless. And out of that, we created Shanti and we created Project Angel Food. We created Being Alive. And it was all about just people managing whatever lifespan they had left. Now we're having conversations about staying uh, negative. negative. Staying and, negative. And uh, see, the, 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 the most important thing is that in the group, we have different ages. We have people that are coming from 18 to 65. So the 65 people gets to share their experience with the 20 year old that is like, they cannot even believe it, how it was back then. And and, you know, I think one of the things I've learned uh, doing all this is that people have a a great 
I should say a great deal, have some discomfort about open and frank and candid talks about sex, yep. sexuality, Pick drug use, relationships. Like as Americans or this Western culture, we're taught those are things you just don't talk about. Yeah. But in the midst of an epidemic, if you don't talk about them, you're placing yourselves at risk. You're exactly right. Um, one of the things that happened this week or one of the other parts of Men's Health Foundation is we opened the SoCal Club in South Los Angeles. It's a safe space uh, targeted for young, gay, questioning uh, men of color, right. uh, providing uh, health and wellness. Um, we've started offering prep access services down there, clinical services, but it's also a social place. And uh, this last week, they hosted a masturbation workshop, which is a very sex-positive conversation in partnership with the Pleasure Chest. But it's an opportunity to have these fun conversations that have always been sort of in a dark place yeah. and to do it in a community forum. And it fosters a promotion of better health outcomes all around. You know, on these alleged apps, Stephen, like Grinder and Scrub, oh, exactly. I know you've heard of them. I have heard of them. I know you've heard of them. <laughs> Every now and I'm then, happily I, in a relationship, I, I, so I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know about them now. Whatever. <laughs> but, but what I know is every now and then I'll see a profile that'll say, neg for neg only. Mm -hmm. And nothing gets me angrier. Oh, absolutely. And I, I unfortunately, I engage with those yeah. uh, profiles because yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, you are asking somebody to say to you, somebody mm -hmm. you're about to have a random hookup with, uh, you are neg, you're gonna trust that that person's telling you the truth. Yeah. Instead of doing that, why not get on PEP or PrEP? And, and that's one of the right. greatest things. And I've, figure out how to protect yourself. Absolutely. Right. It integrates people into healthcare and access and conversations with a, with a care provider that they might not be having, and it brings them back on a regular basis, and it just creates better health practices all around. We've got less than 30 seconds. you got a website where absolutely. people can get more information. Where, where should people go? If people like to get more information about our PrEP programs, you can go to discoverprep.com. You can go to menshealthfound.org, and and follow us at Men's Health Found and at SoCal Club LA. Awesome. Effie uh, Chacon. Thank you so thank much, you. John, for having April me. April Saravia. Thank, thank you. you. Stephen El Guy. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you. El Guy. Just we, just, we just Hispanished your, your name so you, feel, you feel apart. <laughs> thank you for the amazing work that you're doing. Oh, it is amazing oh, and it's a pleasure to th be here with thank you. Thank you guys for being right. here. When thank we you, come John. back, we'll be talking to the cast of The Green Room uh, creators, and they're moving their show from LA to New York City. So stay tuned here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, isn't that lovely? I don't know if that's a tenor or an alto, but it sounded beautiful. My ears. Gang, welcome back. We are here with the creators of The Green Room, uh, a show that is going to uh, leaving Los Angeles and going to New York City for its off-Broadway premiere. And we're very, very fortunate today. We've got Stephen Foster, uh, Rod Damer, and Chuck... Charles, I'm sorry if uh -huh. I if I am Pelletier uh, here who uh, put this thing together. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about it. Hi. Well, the Green Room uh, musical is a four-character musical about four um, theater majors in college. Uh, 
with their hearts set on going to New York City and being in an off-Broadway show. Wow, and that's kind of how it happens, right? In real life, I've never been in an off-Broadway show, but the green room is where people warm up or wait. Yeah. It's like a waiting room, correct? Yeah, it's a waiting room of, of a theater. And in this particular instance, it's where the characters um, have made it sort of their lounge and where they rehearse and where they hang out. And so we just took that premise and made it into a musical, and now we're going up in New York. Now, um, you you and Rod wrote this together, is that right? Or how, who, who wrote it? Oh, who wrote it? Rod. Yes. Uh, 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 Stephen and I wrote the book, and then Chuck wrote the music and the lyrics. Oh my God! You're all the creative creative class here in studio. This is wonderful. And did the writing of the book come from your own experiences? Uh, you know, being in musical productions and musical plays. Or? Yes, way back when I was at uh, a small college in Minnesota called Saint Olaf. Get out of here! And you're, no, they're really, okay. I always thought Betty White just made that city up on the Golden Girls. There really, no. really is a Saint Olaf. Okay. Yeah, so we have to keep we have to keep the record straight that there is a, a, a Saint Olaf. And a friend of mine, Steve Morix, he invited Betty White up to to Saint Olaf. <laughs> Just to prove that it it, uh, it does exist, exists, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was the place. Like Stephen said, that was our third space that you know we just like to hang out in. Mm. And uh, at Saint Olaf, there's chapel every day from ten to ten twenty, and that was a perfect time to play hooky from chapel, <laughs> and then just to get reacquainted with with everyone. If that's the meeting place, that's the meeting place. See what's going on that day. Wow. And then, Chuck, you put the music and the lyrics together for all of us? Right. Well, I was I was fascinated. Rod, Rod wrote uh, a one-act play about what he just said, and uh, I was just fascinated by the fact that it sort of worked on two levels, that, uh, as everybody knows, the green room is this room where you wait to get on stage, uh, and uh, on a broader scale, they had cabbaged onto this green room at their college theater to be their lounge and where they hung out and where they worked on monologues and where they rehearsed songs. So it really became on a, a kind of an analogy, it became their green room for performing in the real world. Right. You know, it yeah. became their four-year green room. Uh, so I thought, you know, rather than a one-act play, all three of us thought we could have this be uh, a two-act play that traces their first day as as freshmen all the way to their last college all-nighter. Wow. So the second act is their last all-nighter, and they are rehearsing for plays, uh, or rehearsing for monologues in their finals uh, of their monologues class. They're writing their term papers that are due the next day. They're studying for finals. Uh, and they're drinking at the same time, so it's their last collegiate all-nighter. That's the, uh, uh, the 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 first three scenes in the in the first act are various times in their four years, and then the second act is their last collegiate all-nighter. Wow! Now this was here in Los Angeles for a period of time, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, yeah. it premiered at the Hermosa Beach Playhouse, okay. and we got a rave review in the L.A. Times, uh -huh. and since then it's been produced um, all over the country and in Ireland and even Canada. So it, it's been 
it's it's had a good history and a good track record, and now we're just so excited to bring it to New York. Isn't that great? I mean, normally it's the other way, right? It starts in New York, off Broadway or on Broadway, and then it moves across the country. How wonderful that it got started here, and now you're going off Broadway. Well, and that always made us feel kind of weird because we were like a fish out of water because, you know, we'd pitch our musical to people, and they'd be like, in New York, and they'd say, oh, those Hollywood guys. You know, (laughs) you're just not taking this seriously, you know, unless you're really famous. Uh, But we finally got it to New York, and we think it's going to be sensational. We have a sensational director, an awesome cast, and a team that is just wonderful. So we're very excited. I am really thrilled. Well, we're going to go to commercial break. But when I come back, when we come back, I want to talk to you a bit about The Green Room. Because as, as Chuck was saying, the title, I mean, every person with any ambition at all, has felt that he or she has had to sit in the green room of life waiting for that moment. And so I just want to explore that a bit with you all. So when we come back, gang, we'll be continuing our discussion here with the creators of uh, the green room. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And what song are we listening to, gang? What is that? Chuck, you wrote it. (laughs) I did. This is a song called Nothing Can Stop My Boys. It's... uh uh, this is it's sort of autobiographical, actually. Um, the uh, the character is, um, uh, is a freshman in high school, and he gets a girl pregnant, or he thinks he gets a girl pregnant, and uh, so all his friends are like, "Oh gosh, oh what are you gonna do?" Um, but there's something about him that, uh, oh I don't know if he's questioning his sexuality or what, but he uh, looks at this as as news that he has uh, manly prowess that he really was doubting. So he gets really excited, and he goes, wow, I made a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And he sings this song about how glorious it is that he doesn't have to think about uh, his his manly prowess anymore. He just uh, can celebrate the fact that he's got a baby, and now all he has to do is figure out what to do with the kid. <laughs> you know, the creative industries, I think historically, LGBT people have played a huge role in Hollywood, movies, television, you know, the Tonys on stage. And, and I imagine that there are probably people listening right now who... I love, would love to have something off-Broadway happen in their lives. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone who's out there thinking, I can write, I can write a musical? <laughs> I would say sleep your way to the top. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that works in politics, Yeah, too. <laughs> get, a, get a good set of knee pads. Uh, no, I would say... Um, Make your work as good as you possibly can, and start getting out there and networking it. No one's gonna, no one's gonna produce it if it's sitting in a drawer. Mm. And that's been my philosophy: is network and put your work out there, and don't be modest about it. Because there's people did it out take there you who to do the book. You and Rob are writing the book mm. for how long? Just curious. Was oh, it? off and on, uh, nineteen ninety. 
two. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it really. So it. Wow. What, wow. So like this, twenty years, you were, this, this was in the making. This, yeah. This sort of thing, you know, it it becomes a germ, and then you go, oh, uh, we'll we'll make a one act musical out of this, and so we did that, and we mounted a one act musical. Uh, at Stevens Theater Company back in 2000 something. That was really the first time it was ever on stage, 2001 or something. Yeah. And uh, and then it uh, uh, it was told uh, people loved it so much that they said, "You've just got to make a two act musical out of this." And that's when we expanded it into the the format that it's that it is now. Um, but you know, we we did some rewrites for the Hermosa Beach Playhouse because mm. then. Uh, that was a more conservative venue, right? You know, and then so in New York, uh, when when Stephen Miller, who is the uh, artistic director, was the person who found the project, and he said, you know, we, uh, my team just has has to get in uh, get in on this and and be the first people to bring it to New York. Mm. Uh, that's where where it all started, and uh, he said, well, it needs to be edgy. Uh, so then it, it's just a, a matter of. Uh, um, a, a long process of writes, writing, and they always say writing is rewriting. A long process of rewriting to get us to where we are now. Hmm. But I, I'd like to add something. Uh, uh, you know, you said the germ, uh, and it's you know twenty years in the making. There are a lot of seeds. There are a lot of germs that you know fell by the wayside. So, hmm. you know, you have to, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You have your ten creative endeavors, and nine of them aren't aren't going to go anywhere, and that's okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And do the nine that end up falling to the wayside, some of those ideas get incorporated into the one that actually does take root? Yes. The, what, the, the stronger twin eats the weaker twin. <laughs> and, <laughs> it is like a germ. Okay. And, it, and it's stronger for it. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really interesting. On music and lyrics, Chuck, do you, does the melody come first or the words? The lyrics come first. With me, uh, both at the same time. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, in fact... Broadway always lists their writers as music by and lyrics by, uh, although a lot of my favorites wrote both. Meredith Wilson, who wrote Music Man, Frank Lesser, who wrote, who wrote Guys and Dolls, Lionel Bart, who wrote Oliver. They wrote both music and lyrics. Cole Porter wrote music and lyrics. And my the people that I grew up with, that, that I cared about, uh, wrote both music and lyrics, like Paul McCartney and John Lennon, even though they wrote together, they both wrote everything. So to me... I, I I write. I've read a lot about them, and I I write the way more modern songwriters write, which is you sit down with an idea, you come up hopefully with a hook line, or an I or, or a um, a reason that this song has to uh, begin and end, uh, and I sit at the at the piano or with a guitar, um, and the melody comes and the words come at the same time. Hmm. If, if you're uh, doing your elevator speech to somebody about why they should go see the green room, you've got like you know thirty seconds to get it out. What 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 is the what would you say, Stephen? The green room is a four character musical about the lives of uh, four college students, uh, but it transcends that and it becomes a universal message about hope and success and teamwork within your um, network and how. Friends can make it together. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a good elevator speech. <laughs> That's a really good elevator speech. I love that. And uh, it starts in New York when? September or something? It opens September the 27th, and it's going to be at the American Theater of, of Actors um, uh, at the Sargent Theater on uh, three, 314 West 54th Street between 
8th and 9th. Awesome. We're broadcasting in New York right now. So, New Yorkers, it's coming. It's hey. coming. <laughs> Those Hollywood guys. <laughs> I, <don't, Yeah. laughs> I think that's so funny. You know, it's not, the, the way that you've described it, of course, it sounds very Sondheim-like to me. I mean, it's very... Uh, the sort of the the whole people coming together or or company or or something like that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because in the uh, uh, L.A. Times review, uh, he had said that it's merely merely we, we roll merely we roll merely we roll along without the rolling. <laughs> that was one thing that was in the L.A. Times. <laughs> That's great. So the L.A. Times gave it a good review. They yeah. Did. That's awesome. That is awesome. All right, what happens after this? Are you guys go on to write something else, or do you keep working together as a creative team, or uh, are you, maybe you've always been a creative team, the three of you? Well, it's what we're hoping is going to happen with the Green. We're hoping that it's going to get picked up by Samuel French or Dramatist Play Service, um, and then we hope it gets produced a lot more all over the country, and. Uh, what happens next is I know Chuck and I have projects that we're working on because now we're filmmakers mm. and we don't know we might make a sequel someday <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> and put you in it okay yeah. yes the mayor yeah, there you go yeah uh, website or Facebook page or where can people get more information right uh, so tickets can be had at uh, greenroom.brownpapertickets.com that's greenroom.brownpapertickets.com uh, and as Stephen said it's at the American Theater of Actors. Uh, the Sargent Theater inside that facility is the specific theater it's in. That's it. Directed by Jessica Jennings and our artistic director, Stephen Miller. That's awesome. Okay, everyone, go see it. Sounds like it's going to be a gay old time, so to speak. So <laughs> enjoy it. Hey, you all, thank you very much for coming to the studio. It's been a pleasure to have you all here with thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you, John. Gang, when we come back, Angela Briskelli from the June Mazer Lesbian Archives. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The incredible Chris Williamson, sweet woman. Love that song. Gang, we're in studio now with Angela Brinskelly from the June Mazer Archives. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Uh, you're on the board, or you chair the board, or what, what do you do for June uh, Mazer? I'm on the board, and I'm the director of communications. Oh, that, then you're the perfect person to have on the <laughs> show this morning. I hope so. <laughs> so, Mazer, the Mazer Archives uh, got started, I think, the mid-80s, right? Is it? Uh, started in 81 in Oakland. Oakland, okay. Yeah, and then it ran out of funding and space in 85 and moved down into June Mazer and Buddy McCulloch's home in Altadena for a year. Altadena. <laughs> you kind of live out there, Jason. Don't you live out by Altadena? Somewhere? You're Pasadena. You're... Like Pasadena. Okay. Yeah, I'm... There you go. The lesbian history archive started in your town, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pasadena and Altadena are different places, but uh, okay. I don't know how close they are, actually. I have to look that They're up. They're right back to back. I think they're back to back. Are they yeah. back to back? Well, similar names, that's, 
that makes sense. <laughs> and it was in their garage they began collecting uh, material, right? Well, they brought that whole archive down and then still collected it in their house. And then Jude Mazur died of cancer. The archives was originally called the West Coast Lesbian Collections. Mm. But after June Mazur died and because she got it, she and her partner got it brought down here, they renamed it June mm. Mazur Lesbian Archives from there. And then in 1989, it got moved into a city building in West Hollywood, which is probably why we still exist. Yes, actually. I'm so glad you're in West Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> we are too, actually. Because yeah. um, if it wasn't for the community and the and the city of West Hollywood, we might have perished. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're there. You know, I think a lot of young people don't realize that before the internet, <laughs> before iPhones, <laughs> before there were any LGBT characters on television or movies, the only place you could find one another was in books or literature or, or news magazines. That was the only place to find community back then. Really? And the bars, of course. And the bars, yeah. which had all these materials. But there were a lot of like women's bookstores that were pretty prominent back then. Yeah, They really were. They were in almost every major area, like Pasadena, L.A., and the Valley. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I remember, this is getting a little LGBT history, Lori Jean, who I've known forever. She's my, one of my guests next week, as a matter of fact. Oh, great. She's wonderful. She is amazing. We were on the uh, NGL, National Gay and Lesbian Task Force board together. I think it was in the 80s. And I said, and I walked up and I said, hi, I'm John Duran. I'm Latino. And I know absolutely nothing about feminism or lesbians, and so what can you teach me? And she goes, read these books. When you finish reading them, come back and talk to me. <laughs> Typical Lori Jean fashion, right? And one was The Well of Loneliness, which I remember reading way which back. Which is a real upread, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But, but I think she wanted me to understand you know, what lesbian women were thinking and feeling. Yeah, and you know, uh, those were considered uh, the beginning of lesbian pulps after the Well of Loneliness, and we thought those were kind of ridiculous, you know, when we came in the 70s and 80s, but in the 50s and 60s, those were a lifeline to lesbians right. then, because it was the only place they saw themselves represented at all. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, back then, the 50s and 60s, I mean, the typical uh, media image for America to look at was, you know, a man and a woman and two kids in a right. white picket fence, and where do you find us in, in the midst of all that. Exactly. Yeah. I just had a woman from Kansas tell me just in the 2000s, living and growing up in Kansas, how she never had any other picture. If she wanted to have children, she saw herself getting married, no matter how much she knew she was a lesbian, because she had no other image of that, mm. even in the early 2000s in Kansas. So it really depends on where you live even today. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think the internet is helping expand communication quickly. Like yeah. you, you can actually, I, I can get on my phone and find out anything about anything uh, off my telephone. But back before there was an internet, you had to actually go to a library and do research. <laughs> right, what are did. those? I know. A, a library is what? a collection of books and periodicals, Jason. <laughs> There's barely any bookstores nowadays, too. Uh, it's, it's very true. The Different Light Bookstore, which was in West Hollywood, went out of business because people mm. weren't buying books. Circus of Books was going to be one of my guests coming up, which was the Dirty Bookstore. They went out of business, mm -hmm. again, because people just aren't going to bookstores anymore. Well, I mean, in my opinion, though, there's nothing that beats you holding a book in your hand and physically look turning the pages. And, Listen to my know? millennial. I love this. <laughs> That's my opinion. I, I agree with your opinion. I love a book, That's too. the kind of thing we have in the art archives we actually have those books from the 50s that women collected and donated oh, way later wow. and young people from 
college classes come and look through them and they love touching them and reading them and you know when i went and i toured the archives uh there were a lot of posters from the women's music festivals that was a big part of early community building too i think we played chris williamson who was very active uh, right i think the biggest selling album ever in women's music and maybe even some records outside of women's music too she was amazing in fact i've i've used the song waterfall periodically on my show it's such a beautiful song filling up and spilling over like an endless waterfall you could mention that to any group of lesbians over 40 and they would all relate (laughs) (laughs) and robin tyler i think she was one of the producers of the festival she she was absolutely yeah yeah. because i saw in the archives i was going through it and i saw a picture of a robin tyler in her 20s i'm like robin wow that's amazing yeah she had black hair yes very joan jett very 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 dark features what um the the Mazer archives do you have uh, speakers every month or what what sort of ongoing work do you do uh, we have a lot of different kinds of events I was going to tell you about some of the events coming up uh, one that's kind of interesting about what we were talking about Robin Tyler having dark hair for example in the first Sunday of November is our annual open house we're having an exhibit that I call the retro lesbian photo exhibit and it's a whole wall of women's faces young and then another wall of them old, and you oh, have wow. to figure out Who's who, who is who. <laughs> and that's our November exhibit this that year. That sounds amazing. Yeah, oh, that is... so that's the kind of event we do. But then we're also, this Sunday, in fact, at 2 o'clock, we're having a celebration of the Lesbian News 45th anniversary. Wow. And that's at 2 p.m., and I wanted to invite oh, you Oh, thank you, yes. <laughs> yeah. Jinx, uh, we lost Jinx uh, recently. Just in the yeah. last year, yeah. yeah. I, sent her a, I sent her a letter when I heard she had like a week left because we, we go back to a time when that was the lifeline the lesbian news and Absolutely. frontiers news magazine i yeah. totally agree and i think it's still even though it's online it's not in print anymore it's still the one of the longest running ever uh lesbian magazine certainly i think the only other one even close is lesbian connection wow Oh, which is a national magazine. Yeah, that was Laura Esquivel, I think. I'm trying to remember. I I remember when it was around. I think it was Laura Esquivel, but I'm my mind is fading. The older I get, I don't remember exactly. That's why we need the archives. That's why we need the archives. Thank you for showing why the archives are necessary. (laughs) We live 365 days a year. We could not possibly remember everything we do, but we think we do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would love. Oh, we have a minute before commercial. I would love to get Megan. Rapino, is that her name? She says her name to come to West Hollywood and do anything. That would be fantastic. She is my Shiro because she was extraordinary, taking on Donald Trump and winning the World's Cup and being out there showing young people, regardless of gender, just how to be an athlete, uh, a leader, and have actually like values, unlike the current occupant of the Oval Office. Yeah, and I think that you know all of the gay community before her led the way to her, to her path. Do you know? What I mean yeah yeah very uh, I don't so. I we watch it older lesbians watch it and can't believe that they're kissing after the game yeah. when <laughs> when you used to have to hide the fact that you well, were a lesbian or you might be thrown off a team right, oh, Billie Jean King being one of the first prominent lesbian athletes yeah right. we're talking to Angela Brinskelly from the June Mazer archives when we come back more about that thanks for tuning in to Channel Q <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you for letting Chris Williamson resolve that chord, Jason, before bringing me in, because that sister by Chris Williamson. Love that song as Love well. Love it. We're here right. with Angela Brinskelly from the June Mazer Archives, and uh, thanks again for coming by. Of course. So what is your story? How did you get involved with the community? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I I was in Orange County. I grew up in Anaheim, basically near Disneyland, and I um, I went to Fullerton College first uh, for photography, and I was studying photography when they. Um, said they weren't going to fund the gay club anymore right after I joined. And uh, so they... This is uh, a student union group on... It was the Fullerton Fullerton College College Gay uh, Club. And Fullerton College said we're not going to fund the gay club anymore. What what year is this, roughly? 1980. Okay. And um, the woman who was the head of the gay club went to the ACLU. And she took them... You know, they all went to court. And we kind of thought we won because the court said if you fund any club, you have to fund the gay club. And they said we're funding no clubs then. They disbanded all they the student They abolished all groups clubs on campus. Rather than let the gays form a club. Exactly. That is insane. It was insane. And I was really <laughs> mad because I was, I mean, I was all alone until then, too. So I was so happy to see that gay club. And so kind of subconsciously in my mind, I decided I'm going to photograph the gay community for the rest of my my life and especially mm. lesbians because I was one mm-hmm. and then I went in you know I moved to Silver Lake and I lived in LA after that and there everyone was in the closet in the 80s mm-hmm. it <laughs> so, was a different time yeah. so I was very grateful to gay pride and the parade here in Los Angeles and West Hollywood because I couldn't photograph anybody else in the early 80s nobody was out hmm. and so that was so wonderful to me to have that when it was kind of like nothing else out, out loud anyway was available and then uh, it got better in the 90s I it could did. photograph different lesbian groups and you know all kinds of things like that but even the lesbian groups in the 80s that really thrived in West Hollywood like SCWU Southern, Southern California Cal- Women for Understanding yes yeah, excellent yeah. Judy and, Doyle I remember <laughs> Judy Doyle yeah and also Conexus they Conexus. both thrived in West Hollywood I you obviously remember that mm-hmm. um, even with them a lot of those women were very closeted thus the name as you know Southern California Women for Understanding a which big sounds lesbian like group. nothing right <laughs> it doesn't read lesbians yes right? they yeah. were a very unique group and and most of them were really closeted, so I could not go to their parties and photograph them generally. Wow. So until the 90s, you know, women on a roll and lipstick lesbians kind of came in. <laughs> um, then I, and, and of course, the L.A. Center has always been a beacon, too, for me. Right. Uh, events and things I could photograph the community. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how I got started. And ever since then, I've been photographing the community. That's, that's really awesome. We were talking during the break about, since you were uh, in Anaheim, about Disneyland and, and the role that even Disneyland played in the movement because people were arrested and ejected 
from the park for having the audacity to same gender dance yes. at the Tomorrowland Terrace. Yes, in 1979, I was in my senior year of high school, and they had escorted two women out of Disneyland for dancing together. It doesn't really build your self-esteem as a lesbian <laughs> from Orange County, <laughs> which is crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and it was at the. Uh, it was ironic. The irony was not lost to me. It was at the Tomorrowland Terrace. I'm like, this is hardly Tomorrowland. <laughs> if right. you can't seem gender dance, it was supposed <laughs> to be futuristic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were not futuristic at all. So amazing. I, I actually worked at Disneyland from '78 to '84. I can't I, believe I, that. I, that is so I, shocking. No, I worked at Disneyland in the late '70s. Early 80s, and of course, I'm coming out at the same time. I I went to Disneyland. Uh, it's a long story. My listeners have heard it before, but I ended up, you know, in a relationship with Peter Pan. Oh my <laughs> Ironically, God. we could not make that up. <laughs> I, I was one of his lost boys, and so uh, getting to work at Disneyland and to watch the societal changes. And there was a group one in December called the Tavern the Tavern Club. They had an annual event of like 15,000 people. Well, the Tavern Club was started by the Los Angeles gay bar owners who decided to rent the park for a night, but they couldn't call it gay night at Disneyland, so it became the Tavern Club, right? Kind of like Southern California Women for Understanding, like right. a little secret society. I know nothing about that. Wow. Yeah. And so what happened is this night, you know, suddenly there's like thousands of LGBT people walking around Disneyland, and they, they sent out a newsletter to the employees saying, if anybody objects to this particular group on religious or political grounds, you may have the evening off. And I'm like, object! I want to join! Right, this if half great. the Disney employees who weren't gay... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The rest of them probably wanted to join in. And out of that came red shirt days. I mean, now there's like an official day that Disneyland has, in essence, adopted. And and it's and if you haven't been, kids, there was a day at Disneyland. I don't. Is it October? I think it's, it's October. October, where we take the park over for a full day, and and you have never seen the Tiki Room song so carefully choreographed in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing. Well, Angela, thank you for coming by. I hope you'll come back again when oh, you have I'd some big exhibit. We love to hear what Mazer's up to anytime. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. <laughs> All right, great gig. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to Jefferson Hendrick and Kristen Vallette about the upcoming Equinox boycott. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. I'm back on. <laughs> I thought you were playing a song. I kept pointing to you. I was like, go for it. <laughs> I thought go. you were playing a song, no. Jason. I'm like, okay, I'll listen to this for a bit. <laughs> You're good. Hey, gang. Welcome back. Uh, we are here with uh, Jefferson Hendrick and Kristen uh, Valaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did it. You nailed uh, it. From the Phoenix Effect, because uh, there is a controversy going on all over the country right now about the uh, billionaire owner of SoulCycle and the Miami Dolphins and Equinox uh, gyms uh, through Stephen Ross throwing a fundraiser for the Donald at the Hamptons this weekend. $250,000 ahead. And of course, uh, these Equinox and Soul Cycle gyms. Well, if you've seen the MAGA guys in red hats, 
they're not going. You, you just look at them. They are not going to the gym. They are not members of Equinox at $200 a month. They are not spinning at SoulCycle. Uh, a lot of their clientele, I'm guessing, are uh, members of the LGBT community and women who are there and uh, who have just uh, historically now are being abused by the Trumps. So anyway, we want to talk about the boycott and what's going on. So welcome, gang. Welcome Thank you. Thank Glad you. to be here. Jefferson, I, I, you were flaming on on your Facebook page. And I Me? Thought, oh, I got I gotta get, I gotta get very, Jefferson. I'm Hendrick very in quiet here. on social media. <laughs> Not much to say. What were you saying about the the boycott? Which post? <laughs> All of them, I guess. I uh, I, I think the the main thing that got me was how weak the response was. Uh, first from Equinox and Soul Cycle. Where they kind of tried to just brush it off, like they basically did a "we don't know him." He's a passive investor. He's yeah, passive. that's not sixty percent. Yeah, yeah, that's passive. That's not a thing. <laughs> no, on the board of directors, that's not passive. Right. No. Uh, and then he had a statement yesterday where he talked about, "Oh, I've been a friend of Trump for forty years, and you know, I agree with him on some things and disagree with him on others." This is not a world where you can pick and choose. This is not a smorgasbord. Right. It's all or nothing, and. Just because you're getting a hot tax cut, you're already worth over $7 billion. Wow. You you are part of the bigger picture. You're part of the world. Like, screw your tax cut, dude. Like, this, the world is on fire right now because mm-hmm. of your friend of 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I think that to continue with this fundraiser this weekend, especially after the week that we've had, is so, so incredibly tone deaf and such bad timing. Yeah, I mean, we had shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Yeah. And the Donald goes to these places not to console victims, not to console grieving families. To shoot campaign videos. to shoot campaign videos. To profit off Uh, of it. And and he was even asked on the South Lawn, he said, oh, we're having a terrific day today with law enforcement. Like, terrific? There are 22 dead people in El Paso, nine dead people in Dayton. There's nothing terrific about this week in America. Yeah, very preventable, too. I think the really ironic part about this is, you know, in terms of personal fitness, the idea is the bigger picture for most folks is I want to improve myself so I can improve the world because change starts with the individual. And if you are every month or every day or however often you're paying the fitness facility that you're attending and you know now now that the mask has been taken off you know that that money is actually going into politicians and uh, policies that are against your own interests are you really helping yourself are you really helping the world and the answer is no yeah and you can't be uh, proud of your your great abs and be funding white nationalism at the same time no they're mutually exclusive Uh, yeah yeah phoenix effect is your baby both of you is that right Uh, Yeah, so uh, my wife, Beth Bishop, and I own it, Um, and Jefferson was initially one of our athletes, and then he's one of our outstanding coaches now, so definitely deep in the Phoenix family. I love this. And we are uh, LGBT-owned and run. We always have been. Currently, we're women-run. We're actually the only lesbian-owned gym in Los Angeles, Um, and we make it our mission not only to strengthen our individuals, our group, but to put good back in the world. We've raised over half a million dollars for various charities. And the city recognized you. For yes, it. We yeah, did. Like, yes we did this is we're really trying to put good back in and we want to like make sure that 
you come here, yes, you'll get amazing abs, you'll get your dream butt, but also you can sleep well at night. You know that what you're doing is impacting the world directly, too, for the better. There you go. So those of you on the fence out there thinking, God, do I really need to leave Equinox? Yes, you do. <laughs> and go check out Phoenix Effect here in Los Angeles and other gyms like it all across the country. Make sure you put your money where it should be. Gang, we're going to need to uh, go to another quick commercial break. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. We are in studio, Jefferson Hendrick and Kristen Valiker from the Phoenix Effect here in Los Angeles, yeah. talking about the Equinox boycott. But you know what? Here I've got, I've got two. I've got a lesbian and a gay. Like you guys are like the trainers. Who's the gay? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> oh. you, oh. you. That would be you. And and I, I mean, I think people in Greater West Hollywood, Greater Los Angeles, know both of you. And you have followings of people. Why were you drawn into physical fitness in the first place? I was drawn into it uh, having grown up in the closet and actually a ballerina. And uh, I don't know if anyone's seen like Black Swan or any of those, those movies. Movie. They're fantastic movies that are very real. <laughs> and uh, it really destroys your body and your soul. And actually, I really loved ballet and wanted to pursue it as a career, but I got bullied for being gay. Mm. So I ended up quitting it prematurely, which was like a bummer. And then I just kind of left physical activities and ended up in a lot of pain by my early 20s and uh, met my wife, Beth Bishop, uh, the other owner of The Phoenix Effect. She was already a trainer. She got me into fitness. I felt better. And I've literally woken up every day for the past seven years wanting to pay it forward. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Jefferson, what was it you to get uh, pretty boys to notice you? My, <laughs> Just attention. <laughs> well, I actually, I mean, the way I got into it is, I mean, as you know, I, I had a career in real estate. Um, and I got to a point where it was just, I was grinding and it was running me down and I needed to find something else, at least supplemental or as a replacement to bring me some joy, something that I felt super passionate about. And having been a member of the Phoenix Effect for so many years and having become really, really close with Beth and Kristen and some of the other coaches, I just sort of developed this interest myself in helping other people with that part of their lives like i saw what they were doing for people and i thought to myself that's what i want to do that's what i need in my life right now and so it really goes right back to kristen and beth mm, that's amazing we yeah. didn't pay him to say that no not at all <laughs> but i will venmo you later jeff yeah, <laughs> yeah he said it beautifully he, he said did. it beautifully you know i think historically I, and this is where we get to go back through history so looking at lgbt athletes of course billy jean king being one of the first right mm -hmm. but, but of course deeply closeted like the whole thing with bobby riggs she didn't come out or identify as uh, a lesbian and and then greg luganis at the olympics of 84 but again he he didn't come out that the guy that was standing beside him and his coach, quote unquote coach, was actually his boyfriend, to where we are now with Megan Rapino. Oh you my know, God, it's insane. Like the world it's stage. Amazing. Yeah, we, yeah. Went, we went to see her over the weekend. Yeah, we did. We, we just went saw... to a women's soccer game. Yeah. Wow. Over the weekend. It was like a friendly exhibition game against Ireland. But yeah, we've come so far. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And now I, I'm in my early 30s and now I think about kids and they're like me too yeah I know I think we're all in our early 30s <laughs> yeah, me too. in this room but I think about like kids in high school right now I'm like wow if this is where the bar is now right. your life is going to be so transparent and so amazing um, I'm not going to use the word privileged mm. but because that's like a double edged sword but right. it's 
I mean, it's so impressive and so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so great to see like physically fit LGBT people. Because I mean, if you know where we come from, we came from smoky bars, right? Yeah. Our very first meeting places were smoky bars without windows where you smoke and you drank and you did drugs and you danced. Very nondescript on the outside. Without even a sign to, to, you know, where you were heading in to where we are now, which is being out. You know, winning the World Cup. <laughs> For God's sake, yeah. everything in between. Tell us about your website, how people can reach The Phoenix Effect. So I think the best way to find us is on Instagram. We're just The Phoenix Effect. And uh, so that's, you can contact us through there. We're offering. Uh, a promotion right now for anyone who's thinking about possibly leaving their corporate gym, heading to a smaller LGBT-owned and operated gym, um, $100 off first month of membership. Uh, so anyone that wants to check us out, come in. We'll also throw, we'll, we'll give you a free class to start. Come see what we're about. Come check us out. We have an amazing, amazing community. Like, that's one of the reasons that I've been part of the Phoenix Effect family in one regard or another for six years now. That, that's really amazing. Yeah. All ages, like that's all why I'm genders, still there. Yeah. All orientations, all walks of life. Yeah. It is like a really, really beautiful, diverse family. Yep. Oh. Kristen Jefferson, thank you. The Phoenix Effect, thank you for coming in studio. Thanks for thank having, you for having us. us. Well, appreciate yeah. it. Gang, next week on Sidebar Icons, we're going to have the incredible Lori Jean, John Davidson from Lambda Legal Defense, the incorrigible David Mixner, and the wonderful Diane Abbott, four LGBT icons on the show. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you all on August 16th here on Channel Q.